Welcome to Civil Discourse, a podcast where participants are free to share their ideas, empathize with other perspectives, and who intend to advance to a better solution to fix a societal ill. We will focus on topics that are particularly complicated. In a time where information is from sources more opinionated than ever, our mission is to find solutions and goals to accelerate the nation's progress with cultural impunity. I'm your host, Todd Furness. Welcome to today's episode of Civil Discourse, hosted by Todd Furness. I'm your host, Todd Furness. And uh, as always, please like, share, and uh, subscribe to the content if you like it. We hope that you do. We think it's meaningful content that uh, you can't really find anywhere else. It's a long, has an opportunity for a long form discussion around particularly complicated issues. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. I'm really excited about today's guest, uh, Patrick Wallace, who's here today from Beyond Risk. And we're going to talk a little bit about something that's fairly complex and will take us deep into the world of, of insurance and particularly health insurance. So Patrick, welcome. Hey, Thank you. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. I uh, appreciate you. Uh giving me the opportunity to speak today. No, no, it's going to be fun. So um, one of the things that's interesting to me about Beyond Risk is you guys are trying to be in a different space. You're doing things a little bit differently. Let's let's set the table for the discussion, if we can, by starting with uh, what Beyond Risk does in terms of serving as you know, a support system and a captive and how that plays into the overall underwriting and, and uh, provision of insurance products and services. Start there. Yeah, so our goal is to be a leader, the leader in alternative risk strategies. And we're doing that by partnering with companies um, like BevCap Management, who has PNC and employee benefit captives. And we're going uh, and bringing and enhancing their expertise that they already have and putting or funding those programs and we're bringing a sales channel to it. So we can, my, myself and my team are gonna go out there and find the brokers that are going to um, distribute this to the to the employers, uh, the mid-market employers that are, are looking to do something different, something outside the box, and to control their healthcare spend. Uh, at least from my team on the healthcare side, we do it on the, the property casualty side as well. Okay, so I want to make sure we go slowly at the beginning, so sure. that we get everybody grounded on the, on the terms, because uh, sometimes the terms that you're familiar with as an industry expert are not the terms that everybody else is familiar with. Sure. So when you talk about alternative risk strategies, what you're saying is, hey, something bad could happen, and we want to have the ability to solve that problem, the economic implications of that, or the financial implications of that. Uh, by by providing an insurance product that will address that problem. So um, from a health perspective, hey, I've got to go into the hospital. I've got to have, um, you know, uh, an operation performed. That's going to be expensive. And so you underwrite that and you provide a risk uh, backstop, essentially, uh, to the self-employed employer. Is that correct? Correct. So it's a, it's a self-insured uh, employer okay. providing a health benefit to their employees. Uh-huh. And so typically, just give me a size of, of your normal customer, your more normal client, a self-insured client. It's, it's a, the average is about 130 employees okay. on the plan. And then how, how big does it get? Uh, typically, we're going we're gonna to go up to about 1,000, but there's no cap. It's just, that's, that's our range is uh, 100 That's your sweet 1, spot. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Okay. Very good. And so keep going, 130 to 1,000 people, and then you provide a product that says, hey, you guys has, have the first risk, meaning you guys are going to pay the first set of expenses out of it until it gets to what point? Correct. So the employer is going to self-fund the small claims on each individual uh-huh. up to a risk tolerance. So they'll decide that with their uh, insurance broker. And you know, with our guidance, we're going to help them 
come up with the right number, self-insured to that point. So call it $100,000. Right. And then we'll put a, a maximum, a cap on their liability for the aggregate group of claims so they know what their, the worst case scenario is. Right. So you look at their history. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to play this back, make sure I understand. Sure. So you're going to look at their history. You're going to take this sum of their claims over some period of time uh, looking backwards. And then what you're going to do is you're going to say, hey, your risk kind of varies between X and Y. Uh, and what we think is a good place for you to establish your ceiling for the amount of risk that you would pay for is some number, right? Correct. And yeah. then after that, Beyond Risk will take over the responsibility for payment for any dollars over that. Is that correct? Yeah. So we, we manage captives. And so the captive is, if you think about it, is like-minded employers pooling and sharing risk together uh -huh. um, to make self-insurance on the, for a health plan, it, it make it a more realistic option. So you can, and you can use the programs and strategies that we have in place to lower your overall cost of claims. And right. which is, you're not seeing that today in the market on a large scale. And we're, we're kind of introducing that to lessen the impact of these high dollar claims by going out and f doing, it, doing it differently, finding a different way to pay for claims and getting them for a much lower cost. And this is where I want to, I'm really excited about this mm -hmm. idea. So I want to dive into that in just a second. But what I'm, I'm impressed by is, this, first of all, that you're taking the, the risk idea and looking at it differently. You're putting through a different filter and saying, hey, wait a minute, we don't need to go to these big guys, you know, AIG and AXA and you know, all these other large multinational carriers. There's a way we can handle this better and more cost effectively for companies who meet these, this profile. Mm -hmm. And we can help you do that. So it's a combination of the underwriting component of it, the service component where you're saying you're kind of giving advisory advisory work in there, and uh, and then also the funding itself. You're putting together that pool of capital that can then be used to fund the payment of a claim in excess of the of the tolerance levels established by the individual company. Correct, and you could have that. Sounded like I knew what I was talking about. Yeah, I think that's you really got it. shocking, actually. <laughs> Go ahead. So, and you've got individual employers within this bigger pool, right? And the the bigger pool is going to bail out employers that have a tough year when it comes to the claims because you can manage claims, but you're still going to have years where you have bad claims as an individual employer. Right. But the other the pooling of the resources from the other employers is what's going to help out the the greater population, and over time. Um, it just gets, uh, it's more profitable to the employers in that, in that arrangement. Right. And I think to me, there's, we, we tend as business people to want to talk about profit and loss, but to me, there's a compassion argument in here too. In other words, we can really help people, help business leaders, help people sleep better at night, uh, by knowing that their medical expenses are going to be taken care of in the most cost-effective way. It's, it, but most importantly is the first part of that sentence. The medical expenses are going to be taken care of. So it, I think it's also fair to say that by virtue of the way that you shape your your cost for this, your, your price and, and the cost for the employer, is that it allows more people to have access to the coverage because it's more cost-effective for the individual as well. To the extent that they have any any portion of the deductible or a, a copay or a premium, then those numbers are likely to be more attractive, better, lower than they would be otherwise if you went with a traditional model. Is that fair to say? Yes. As, as you scale up and the more companies you can bring together, it's going to lower the cost of the, pop the greater population over time. Right. 
because you're spreading the risk, also known as the expense, Correct. Uh, across more uh, funding mechanisms, more fund, more payers uh, to, to, uh, to diminish the cost per payer. Exactly. Okay. And you're and you have there's more resources for you to go to market to, to lower the cost of your claims. I mean, if you go if you're a self-insured employer and you're not in this type of an arrangement, you are going to take all the risk on your own, which can be daunting if you're looking at it from a 200 life employer. Yeah. So then you put that 200 life employer into a group with 100,000 employees. I mean, it's going to it's going to iron out volatility. Right. Right. from just traditional self-insurance. So smooth the curve, essentially. Correct. Yeah. So on average, what do you think, or how do your your price points and your costs in the aggregate uh, per life covered end up being compared to your competitors in the marketplace? So I think... When, I'm sorry. Okay. Put it differently. The traditional model. Where I go to a you know a, a Buka or you know somebody else, some other large carrier. I'm sorry, Blue Cross Blue Shield, United, Cigna, Aetna, you know one of the other big carriers. How do we compare there? So, in theory, it's all a concept. It's all about the whole point of this would be to have lower costs, but it's not easy as easy as putting it on paper. You've got to to educate on that concept and get the buy-in of the employer that we have programs that are going to lower the cost of your claims. And when you're self-insured the majority of your spend is your employees' claims. So over using these programs and getting the buy-in and the concept, you're going to have a lower price point, but I can't just put that on paper because you could jump into the program and it's going to work if, if you've got the tools um, to, uh, in front of you to make it work, which we have. And not all of our competitors have these tools. We've got the advocacy that's going to direct care to the high-quality, high-value uh, providers that aren't going to charge you um, a very high rate of reimbursement that you might see in the Blue Cross model or the Buka model, as you you talked about. Okay, so what you said was a big comment in one single sentence or paragraph that included a bunch of complicated stuff, right? So in what I heard from that is, number one, um, the buy-in, as you describe it, from the enterprise is different. It's not just I'm buying a uh, a new set of tires for the car. It's no, I need to rethink transportation, mm, right? Exactly. So there's a there's a change management function that needs to happen, which is a superset of advocacy, right? Change management function meaning you need to then go out and educate leadership in the company, but also educate employees. Of course, yeah, absolutely. And so what you're saying is that's one of your strategic differentiators, your ability to educate leadership and the employees. And keeping it simple. Right. And they have to, you have to have one point of contact that's going to use, have a lot of programs, but one point of contact that's going to use the programs correctly so the employees know that I have a phone number to call. If I call that phone number, I'm going to have a nurse on the line that's going to tell me, okay, you have X, Y, and Z. Somebody who can condition. guide them. Correct. Right? Yeah. Hold their hand through the process. Okay. But the, the change man so change management is complicated. Mm -hmm. um, advocacy and support is complicated. Now there's another piece to this, which is um, even more nuanced. Now you're, I'm going to not pigeonhole you, but I'm going to say you're a sales guy, right? You're a, sales, so, yeah. <laughs> you're a sales leader. So one of the things that I would assert is that this takes a different sales process. Absolutely. In other words, the sales process is not a product or a service sales process. 
It's an enterprise-wide strategic sale. Yes, absolutely. Right. And what that means is that in advance of attempting to close on that sale, you have to educate leaders on why this is valuable and how it's going to make a difference in enhancing the employee-employer relationship itself, but also in providing a higher quality outcome for the, each individual covered. Yes, in breaking the traditional mold that the majority of businesses are in today, right. which is, it can, it can be a bear if you think about it, but it's all, it's all about education. It's not a hard sale. We're not trying to push um, a really cheap price point and say that that's our value. The value is we've got these tools. We're asking you to believe in it and we've got the history to back it up. And here are the results that we we've seen and this is where we wanna go. So I would suggest that your message is a little bit different in that you're saying, here's our approach. It's supported by quantified evidence over mm -hmm. time that endorse the approach we're re recommending to you and encouraging you to bet on the outcome that we're putting on paper in front of you as the most likely outcome, right? In other words, this yes. is evidence-driven. It's not, hey, trust me on this one. No, yeah, that's not gonna work. <laughs> right, you're gonna, you're gonna roll out a whole bunch of data that says, yeah. hey, here's why, and here's where we think this is gonna come out. Now, I think there's another piece to this, this which uh, maybe we either haven't gotten to or you're underplaying <laughs> because you're a humble guy, but I think there's a piece to this which says, hey, um, in addition to ring-fencing your risk, um, there's a value that comes about from the certainty of understanding your risk. Those risk is all about uncertainty, right? Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is, hey, wait a minute, I'm gonna, I'm gonna narrow that uncertainty into a range. And that range is, knowing that that range is gonna be smaller, you then have the ability as a leader to budget differently. Correct. Right, to, because you have a higher, you don't have to create a, you know, a, uh, a buffer in the budget to, to accommodate the risks that could come about Correct. as a result of claims that were unanticipated. Yeah, and if you think about it, the, there is a worst case scenario risk. So you, can't, you can budget for worst case, but if you look at what, what the worst case is and then compare it to that having that similar experience in a different, more traditional model, you're gonna be worse off in that model. And we're able to, we can paint that picture to show, hey, in any given two or three year period, if you have some bad years, this is what the outcome will be in our model. And But think about what the outcome would be in the traditional model and, and how bad it could be. And we're getting you out of that volatility. And you, some might think they're getting into an arena of volatility, but it's the opposite. You just yeah. have to think about it logically and, and then education on the concept and, and believe in the concept because the concept does work. Well, and here's the other thing that, that you have not said at all, and I think is perhaps the biggest issue for me in the entire industry. I have asked this question of over two dozen CEOs and not a single one has gotten it right. And the question I ask is, who do you get your coverage from? Who do you get your healthcare insurance from? And you know what the answer is? Blue Cross Blue Shield. Yeah. United, Cigna, Aetna. Mm -hmm. And I said, no. And they said, what do you mean now? I said, no, you don't. Well, yeah, I do. No, 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 no. You get it from your company. Who's your company get it from? Blue Cross Blue No. To get the network? No. Nope. A broker. Who's the broker paid by? <laughs> Good point. 
Blue Cross Blue Shield, United Signal, right? Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, when was the last time you sat down face to face with a Blue Cross Cigna, United, or Aetna representative and negotiated your premium? The answer is never. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they negotiate with the State Department of Insurance. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? That means there's no, I'm a lawyer, right? So <laughs> that means that there's no something called privity of contract. Mm -hmm. I don't have a direct relationship with you as a carrier. Mm -hmm. It's indirect, right? And yeah. what, does, what does that mean? That means I don't know who I'm dealing with. It means that, for example, United, who now, who now employs over 50,000 doctors, right? They're the mm -hmm. largest yep. employer of physicians outside of health of healthcare systems themselves. 50,000 physicians. If I go to the clinic, if I go to see a doctor, who am I seeing? Am I seeing United? Am I seeing a doctor who's going to have my best? Am I, am I built into a, a referral network that I don't know about? That I didn't have any comment on? What kind of conflicts of interest are there? Right? Agreed, yeah. And so one of the other things you're doing, I think, intentionally, but not you haven't stated it yet, is you're taking all that off the table too, right? You're taking all those conflicts out, you're taking all of that, all those privity issues out, and you're creating privity of contract. Correct. And we're giving them the option of we'll have those networks of providers in there, and I look at it as a safety net in case that we can't find the right, um, the right way to treat any kind of condition or the way but to get the drug. Yeah, but, but the, the difference here is you guys aren't trying to treat people. No. You're trying, you're, you're a financial mechanism, an instrument to pay for stuff. Correct. At a lower cost exactly. to the employer. Exactly. Now, you can buy into networks and use whoever, the providers that you want, and you can establish that up front. I have a personal uh, interest in seeing more people go to cash payments, for mm -hmm. example, because you can usually get a tremendous, tremendous discount if you pay cash at the point of service. Um, I like to tell the story about my assistant who uh, uh, needed an MRI. And uh, she said, she, she says, hey, I just read this guy Furnace's book, because I have a book out on healthcare. Mm -hmm. She says, I just read this guy Furnace's book, and he said, I could, I could, uh, I could negotiate with you. Hey, what's your, what's your negotiated price for the MRI? $3,200. $3,200, wow. And the uh, radiologist report is an extra $800. Mm -hmm. Really? Okay, well, her deductible was 3000 she says, well, what if I pay cash? This guy Furnace said I could pay cash. $562 all in. So soccer mom beats the crap out of the negotiated mm -hmm. insurance price by 7X, right? Yep. So cash on the barrel head rules, right? And so Absolutely. no claim to be filed. And by the way, that, that still goes against her deductible. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it can also be paid using her health savings accounts dollars, mm -hmm. which are tax advantaged. That's the thing, right? So you could also employ all those tactics on top of what you're doing to further reduce the cost. Every, every best practice in the industry is gonna be something in, in the discussion throughout this, this process. And the process isn't send us your information, we'll come back with numbers and then we'll bind a contract. We're gonna talk about it sometimes for a, a, two, a year, maybe two years before we get that important comfortable to make a change. You don't say that. It makes my head hurt. Two years. <laughs> well, I mean, some, some employers will jump on it right away. You might talk to somebody and get them, them, you know, someone who's thinking outside the box and that is someone who drives change and they get it, have the one conversation and they're going to move forward. And then it just takes people to, a while to get out of the box that they've been put in right. by the industry for right. how many years? I mean, it's been, it's been forever. And it just keeps, that box keeps getting smaller and smaller. And 
now we're bringing something else to the table that's going to really bring change and, and lower cost without sacrificing any of the, the, the benefits that you have today. You're still going to get the same quality of care and better care with more options. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess the question becomes, you know, one of inertia, right? Hat. Knowing that since so many of these instances, the typical relationship is, hey, I've got a buddy at the club and mm-hmm. or, you know, in my group, you know, it's my small manager group or my in my church and he's my broker mm-hmm. or she's my broker and I've known him for a hundred years and you know I really don't want to offend them by going and doing something different. How do you get past that inertia? How do you sell past that? So I think you're going to have to target the, the individuals that you know have that they buy into the concept as well. So we're going to, we're working with, we partner with the right people who see the vision and they want to use that vision to bring it to the, to their clients and right. to the prospects that they're looking at. And if you try to cast this wide net, you're not going to have the same success. And that's that's the traditional game. Cast a wide net and bring in a small percentage of it, right? Right. We're going to cast a smaller net and bring in a big chunk of that, of what we get in that net with really good partners that have the same values and thought process that we do. So let's imagine that you say, and we happen to be sitting right now in Dallas. Let's imagine that you say that Dallas is a market. Mm-hmm. And let's establish that you may find... Uh, 25 or 50 customers uh, that get it right that mm-hmm. they're your targets and you get you know a good a good uh, hit rate on those and you are able to um, engage with them with contracts that you help them design that are profitable does that create a flywheel effect in the market where they're talking now to other leaders in the community and say hey you know I got these guys over beyond risk and man, they are doing a hell of a job. I was able to reduce my costs and provide a higher quality service to my employees. Employee status way up. Mm-hmm. I get retention benefits that are coming out of this. I got loyalty. I've got higher productivity, all this good stuff. Are they communicating that message in the marketplace? Yeah, they, they, they do. Absolutely. And when that happens, you're seeing, you're going to see areas gross and you're going to start in one, one city and that's going to keep spiraling into, into other cities. And that's how the, the growth will happen because when you get these employers together and they, you, you, the goal is to get everybody together and share the ideas that are working with inside their own organization, which then kind of spread throughout the larger group within that captive and people start to adopt best practices. And those best practices are going through, those are the things that are driving the cost down. Um, and so that word of mouth within the captive and then spreads out and that's how, that's how we're growing and that's how we're bringing in more business. Um, and we can prove that it works we're sh- we can show you tangibly that it works. And then you have to buy it. You have to believe in that concept when we show, show you the numbers and show you the, the partners we use to, to get us there. Yeah. So how do you get, um, a group together? What's, what's a, a critical mass essentially for you then in a market? Have you identified those kinds of metrics to say, Hey, you know, when we hit X, we're going to hit a flywheel effect and it's going to take off. Uh, yeah, I think we've identified what it what it takes to have critical mass in one uh, to get one captive cell of, of, of employee lives. It's, it's a, you know, a couple thousand lives, but we want to get it much bigger than that. We want to, yeah. to build these captives to a point where um, the size and the scale is going to continue to drive the insurance cost down, yeah. knowing that the containment on claims is what's going to make you successful. Right. So I want to go back to the change management concept because I think this is a, another rich opportunity for um, introspection or investigation, maybe is a better word. Um, most people think that change management is somebody in, a, in an office with a lot of dark wood in it 
sends out a memo or an email that says, hey, tomorrow your job is going to be this and your benefits are going to be that. Uh, and I'm expecting you to, to deliver the following. And that, that's what they think change management is, right? Yeah. And that's not change management. No. That's you know, an edict on from, high, from on high. So usually what has to happen, at least my observation in the change management world, is that the way for change management genuinely to work is you have to anchor it in corporate values. Mm -hmm. We're doing this because we believe as a corporation in the following things. Mm -hmm. Individuals are employed, they seek employment with individual with specific companies because in part their personal values tie to the corporate values. There's an overlap there. Agreed. Right? So then the question becomes if you can start with the corporate values and go to the personal values and then go to all the support mechanisms where the corporation is going to support the corporate values and the personal values by doing the following things, training, education, advocacy, et cetera. And we're going to provide you with the following tools, online apps, uh, call services, uh, call support services, um, telemedicine, et cetera. And it's going to produce the following result with your assistance and collaboration. That's a much different message. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that's the model you're trying to adopt and you've established the support mechanisms in a way that differentiate you from your competition. How do you get back to the values? Is that, is that really what you're looking for when you're targeting your customer base? Well, we're talking, targeting the customer base. You start with the finances. So whenever you're, you have a prospect where we want that. Yeah, but if I can interrupt, if finances is not a good answer, right? Finances don't have a heart. They don't have compassion. They don't have sympathy or empathy. Finances are a uh, are interesting, but I think if you start with these with saying by saying, "Hey, I'm going to enhance the probability that your employees are going to want to stay with you longer because, and they're going to be more productive, and they're going to feel cared for," then the finances make sense. Agreed. And I think that to get, you need to get an audience, right? Yeah. So to get the audience, what's the biggest topic on any CFO's mind that they don't want to talk about? It's the cost of their healthcare. Ah, so that, but that's, it's interesting because you pivot to CFO mm -hmm. as opposed to the CRO or, mm -hmm. chief or the CEO, right? Mm -hmm. So each of those constituents has a different mindset or a mm -hmm. different set of intellectual receptors, if you will, yep. that, that make the messages uh, more likely to land with that group, right? Exactly. And then that, that you start with the need, right? The need is to lower the cost. Uh, get in, get in there. Explain how that happens, and then you get the buy-in from that person. And then you have to get the use that to get the buy-in from the HR folks that are going to have to deliver the message that there's a change, and that this change shouldn't be scary. We're going to show you how to use your health plan to benefit you. Here are the incentives, and here are how you're going to become. You're going to have something similar with many more options to be a, a conscious consumer, giving you the best care that exists, and doing it for a much lower cost to you as the individual. It doesn't matter what the company's doing, right. the individual is going to benefit from it from, by having no cost at, to get this care. Right. But I think, um, again, if it, it depends on the receptors of the individual with whom you're speaking. So for sure. example, if I go to a business unit leader who's got a, a problem with attrition and I come in with a message that says, hey, this is going to help diminish your attrition, that's going to be much more powerful than a message that says, I'm going to save corporate X dollars on, you know, per thousand lives covered. Well, that's what I'm talking. It's all about 
we're talking to HR about how they can pitch this to their employees who are going to benefit from it from a financial standpoint, not the company. The company benefits. But, no, the, no, but I'm talking about the business unit leaders. Sure. Right. So the business unit leaders are the ones who make the decisions that then go back to HR and say, yes, correct. I agree or don't agree. And if HR comes to the, to the business unit leader, the, the, the odds are improved that, the, that he or she from the HR department will be less less warmly received, yeah. right? Yeah. But if the business unit goes back and I got your, I need your help. I need your help on solving my attrition mm-hmm. problem. What are you going to do for me? And the HR person says, well, I, I got this you know, insurance approach that's going to you know, increase loyalty and decrease attrition and yeah. improve. They're going to be all ears, right? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Finding your audience, finding the pitch. I mean, it's it's going to be different from, it depends on who you're talking to and why you're talking to them. And right. Everybody's talking to us for a different reason. Right. Um, you know, and there's going to be synergies among those, but it's identifying that problem and then solving it. Right. So what do you consider to be the biggest uh, challenge to uh, a more uh, ubiquitous or more uh, greater coverage using your approach What's the biggest challenge that you're seeing out there in the marketplace? Is it just the, the, the reluctance to move from the status quo or is it education or something else? Well, I mean, the market is really a broker-driven market for the most part. It's getting people to, to learn something new. I mean, it's not, it's not a completely simple product. You've got you've to dig into it and you've got to learn the self-insured industry first and then how the captives apply. Yeah. And then there's moving parts and, and that's why we want to try to keep it simple, but that's some people don't want to learn. They don't want to bring that into the fold of things that they offer to their clients. It's just, it can seem overwhelming when it's not. It's if you sit down and listen and let us help you do the work, because our job is to help you implement this and educate on it. And over time, you're going to, you're going to pick it up. You're going to learn it. Right. But you know, some, some folks don't want to do that. And that's, that's the biggest challenge I find. Um, but I mean, we're overcoming that every day. Yeah. So I, historically, I've been focused on the issue of cost associated with the, co- the, the price of delivery. And mm-hmm. I've been really wanting to push that down. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I hear you saying, though, is you're, you're actually helping companies focus on the cost of insuring the care. In other words, the financial risk associated with that. So both are critical Mm -hmm. because the other thing that um, you were kind enough not to poke your competitors in the eyes about was, uh, or kick them in the shins about was that, you know, if they, if a company does have a bad year with claims, Mm -hmm. and even if they have a good year with claims right now, anyway, then what happens is premiums go up, right? Mm -hmm. And we've gotten so conditioned now that if the premium only goes up by 20%, we're elated, you know, it's like, Seriously? Yeah. Uh, in no other industry does that work, right? You're right. And so I think you're also, you can, you're providing great value in that space by saying, hey, there's a cost containment that's not only now, but it's also going to happen likely in the future. As we get better at, at ring fencing the risk, we're going to take, we're going to be better at, at giving you budgetary expectations that are going to be helpful. Yeah. And, and if you think about the traditional market, your cost, does the cost ever go down? It doesn't. It always goes up. It, it might go up a little. It might go up a lot. We're going to actually ensure ensure you as an employer, based on what the risk that you pose to an insurance carrier, that the claim the claim risk that you that you pose to to you as, yourself as a self insured employer. If your rates should go down, we're going to bring your rates down. If right. they should go up, we're going to bring them up. It's in, and then you're going to look at the whole collective pool of employers, and that will also impact impact you. And, and if everybody's uh, adopting best practices, you're going to see that spend level out and you're not going to see this 
eight, nine, 10% compound increase every single year. Now, what you also mentioned in that was a whole nother idea around uh, best practices being adopted by others in the captive, mm -hmm. right? So there's a little bit of what I would call almost peer pressure, mm -hmm. right, to to share and then to implement best practices. Do you have forums that, or I said, I did actually take a year of Latin, mm -hmm. fora that, uh, <laughs> that then uh, people can share best practices? Do you have a community involvement there? Absolutely, we bring together, we bring our members together at a, an event we call best practices. We just had one in Colorado just a couple months ago and it's peer-to-peer -peer interaction that's going to you know, find out what your, what your uh, peers in the captive are doing to drive their cost down. We have programs, but there's other things that their consultants can do when they identify a claim trend. So, and they, you know, they share those with, with each other, and it works. And that other, some of those companies will go back and implement what they what they heard at best practices. So, and we're going to do continue to do more of those things. And I'm here in Dallas to have a we have a member meeting tomorrow for for our captive members. So, again, it's going to be a lot of folks getting together and sharing the successes they've seen over the last year. So you're just creating a forum for that. You're just, mm -hmm. you're facilitating. They're the ones doing the talking, saying, hey, "Hey, here's what we did under these, under these circumstances, and here's what happened as a result of it." And we're, you know, pretty pleased with the the outcome. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of kind of cool. Yeah, and that's that, that's what's going to work. So if you get the buy-in of these um, collective employers together, and kind of the common goal. Yeah. And 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 share what works, and it's that's powerful. Yeah. So how are you? Um, capturing that? Is that captured in some way and codified? And do you have like a knowledge store that has the stuff that people can go? Let, let put it differently. Um, let's imagine that I'm a, um, a fresh new client. I'm, you know, eager eyed and excited to be on the, on the bus with you guys. And I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what best practices are. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want to become really, really smart really quickly. What do I do? So that's, so that's part of the education that we will provide when we try to bring somebody into the captive is different case studies. We're not going to overwhelm them in the first 60 minute education meeting we have, but we're going to talk to them about some examples and things that our brokers have done, things that the vendors have done to lower spend and then slowly introduce them. We don't, you don't want to overwhelm anybody too much because it's a lot, right? If, if you just throw out 17 different programs that different employers have implemented over time, when they find that something works, then you're going to see them warm up to what's next. What are we going to do next? How can we implement it? And then slowly take that library and, and show them the way. And then do you have, I guess you have the ability to tailor the library as well based on Absolutely. their needs and, and customize it a little bit. It's yeah. a self-insured plan. They can do whatever they want um, within, their, within their plan, um, whatever's available to them or anything they bring on their own. So one of the things I've been really passionate about is this idea of, low, as I mentioned earlier, low, mm -hmm. lowering the cost or the price of services, really more the price of services. Nobody really cares what these costs are mm -hmm. because we really care about what the price is. And so the question is, what is the price or what you're doing is you're reducing the the price for everybody, I think. Um, but it seems to me that, again, to the extent that you can encourage cash payments, you, there's another step uh, opportunity there to drive prices lower. But how can we do better at, at forcing market competition for these goods and services to cause price to go down? It's just getting that message out there. I mean, it's, it's a challenging thing to do because it's not status quo. So I think keep pushing that message and keep scaling up the business. And that word's going to spread. It's, it's spreading now. And we're not the only one doing it. It's, it's spreading slowly, but 
you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? So it's- But, are, but are, aren't you being, again, incredibly humble here? Because I think your, your analytics are, are gonna be what's gonna help drive that. Absolutely. You can take, you have the ability to then take a look at that claims data in a whole, <clears throat> and look at it through a whole different lens because you're objective and indifferent to the networks being used, right? You don't Correct. have a vested interest in that. Whereas others, you know, your competition, the 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 uh, the lesser mm -hmm. uh, noble people uh, in those large companies are are equipped with a and become fully equipped with a, a set of conflicts of interest and and vested interests in in using the network, using the referral patterns, using mm -hmm. the whole scheme, and then paying bonuses and to encourage it further. Mm -hmm. You guys aren't into that. You're no, not. You're saying, all. hey, that's not our deal. We're here to make your costs lower and to reduce your risks. Therefore, we're going to look at these at this data in a completely different way. Correct. That objectivity is going to produce real dollars to the bottom line, but also it's going to deliver a better service. Correct. And you have those those provider networks that are necessary evil. You you don't have to. They're not. You don't have to have them, but you need them. We we partner with them. As a, so I look at it as a backstop, right? So right. you have access to national care when you need it for the worst case scenario. And as a consumer, you have that option to do it, but pay for it, right? right. Or you can be a consumer and says, well, I could probably get the same services, maybe even the same surgeon over here and pay nothing. And then the plan's obviously gonna save a substantial amount of money. So you're right. Um, I just, it's, I think it's just driving the message and, and it's through education. I mean, this is not a sale. I don't, I don't think you can go in as a, the typical sales, um, sales mind that you might in any other industry and try to jam it down. That's no, not this, work. Is, this is very much of a consultative sale. hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. And it's gotta be collaborative in nature. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Patrick, you've been a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. I think this is an important topic mm -hmm. and I'm really deeply grateful that you came in and talked to me about it because, and to, to our audience, um, I think this is something that can make a big difference. I wanna, and the other thing that's really notable here is you're not talking about trying to change something for large companies. I mean, one could say a thousand employees is a large company, sure. but at the end of the day, you're talking about changing changing the market dynamics for small and mid-sized companies, which are the backbone of the American economy. Exactly. And we need to help them. Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're really eager for the help and they need it and we need to do what we can uh, because they're the primary employers for, for our country. That's what it's all about, yeah. The more we can do in, in that small business, mid -market, middle market business, the, the better off we're all gonna be. And I think there's a, there's a huge opportunity we're gonna keep going. Well, I wish you all the success all in the right. world. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. And uh, like, again, please like, share, and subscribe. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for watching this week's episode of Civil Discourse. To learn more about today's topic or our guest, visit www.the60percentsolution.com or www.tfip.group.